To the book of Galatians, chapter four, and we're just gonna we're just gonna keep going, and uh, we'll bring the lights up so you can see your Bibles, and we're just gonna stay kind of in that same place. The victory is His, and yet, uh, in a way that's just incredibly consistent with the character of our God, He shares it with us. Um, hang on to that. We're gonna come back to that in just a little bit. Um, back in the mid-90s, I don't remember the mid-90s, some of you literally don't because you weren't here yet, and I'll just beat you to the punch on that hilarious joke, um, but the mid-90s was a, a time of thriving for a lot of us, those were the heydays, you know, and uh, something special was kind of happening in the life of the church in that, uh, at least the like Southern American church, is that there was just this ever-evolving um, like music thing that was happening. And churches were uh, kind of caught in this trap, you know, between uh, like some more traditional forms of worship and then some like uh, more like rock and roll based type stuff or whatever. And there's a lot of tension and churches were created. And uh, in the mid-90s, though, if you were a college student, there was no tension for you because you just kind of... D- you just kind of did your thing. And so the the BCM at LSU at that time was called the BSU. And uh, they went through a name change. I mean, who changes their name, right? Um, they went through a name change, and uh, so now it's BCM. But back then, uh, you know, the Thursday night worship gathering was kind of evolving, and there was just some new new music coming around. and uh, But back then, the way that you found new songs is that you would have to go somewhere and hear someone else lead a song in a setting like this. And as like worship leaders, we would sit there and uh, you would hear a song and you would just sit down and you'd write the words down right then. And then you could maybe sketch some chords out because you know there wasn't Spotify and all these kind of other things. There wasn't even Napster yet. It was before Napster. And so that's just kind of how you found new songs. And so I was the worship leader at the BCM at the time, and that's how I would find new songs. That we would go places, and bands would play songs, and we would write the words down and go back and try to rip it off, you know. And um, we were at a conference, and the band Mercy Me, like before, this was like pre, I, I can only imagine Mercy Me. This is when like they were like driving their own van and unloading their own speakers and stuff and doing all their own stuff. This is before they were millionaires and stuff. And so they played this conference and they did this song and we were like, that's it, we got to do that song. And so we're scribbling the words down. And um, So we go back, we start doing this song. And not too long after that, I guess we started doing The Ring. And so there was this song that was a part of all that stuff. And uh, so it was kind of a regular song in the rotation. And um, we did an album and uh, did an album and that band went and worked the Centrifuge location in Panama City Beach one summer. And we sold about 2,500 CDs with this song on it that kind of just went everywhere, right? Uh, like through the youth groups and things. And uh, it was not a very good CD, so don't, don't feel gypped if you're like, oh, I never did know that. Uh, it was terrible. But, uh, but it was fun and it was, just, it was just fun. It really was. And this song was fun and all the songs were fun. And uh, 
So after camp, I would get back and I get a phone call from this guy. And he's like, hey, my, my name is John. I think it's John. Let's just, go, let's just say it's John. Uh, my name is John Burke. And I wrote this. Uh, I, I just want you to call me back because I want to talk to you about this song. So I call him back. And then he, he, says, uh, he says, so I wrote this song that y'all did. But you did it incorrectly. I'm like, what do you mean? He said, the word, you got the words wrong. And uh, I said, well, we just did it the way Mercy Me did it. And he's like, yeah, they got the words wrong too. You know? That's why everybody around the whole country now has the wrong words to the song. He said, and you spelled my name wrong. or You put the wrong name in the CD jacket. He's like, so you, you, wrong lyrics, wrong name, all this kind of stuff. And uh, he said, so I, he said, I'm, I'm, really, I'm not calling to bust your chops about anything. I'm just asking if you do another printing of the inserts, could you give me the correct name? Because I'm, you know, it's kind of good for my career. I was like, yeah, sure. And so uh, I said, but how, did, how in the world, why are you calling me? Like, how did you get our CD? He said, uh, he said he was doing a disciple now somewhere. And the whole, he said, after like the first night of worship, he said like six of the youth group representatives came up. And they said, hey, we just want you to know that you're doing that song incorrectly. And he was like, what do you mean? And I said, well, you, say it, you sing this one line this way, but it's really supposed to be this. And he was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And, they're like, and they, they say, here's how it's supposed to sound. And they hand him our CD. <laughs> and he said, uh, he said, that's interesting. He said, because actually I wrote the song. And they were like, no, you didn't, because your, your name is Jeff, and that guy's name is John. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, yeah, they misspelled my name too. And they're like, okay, dude, that's pretty... <laughs> pretty lame right and um so he was super cool about it so if you ever meet him just know he was not being a punk about it or anything uh but that song that song was called adopted and it was it was a really great like mid to late 90s like rock worship song it was just a lot of fun for us and but one of the one of the reasons why we were drawn to it is because it every now and then there are these songs that come along that say something that you kind of feel like no song has it it hasn't really been said in that particular way before. You know, you just connect with it and you're like, man, that song says something that I needed to, I needed to be able to express. And it talks about being adopted into the family of God. And there just aren't a lot of songs that articulate it that way. Um, and it, it talks about um, how God, because God has spoken, everything has changed. And that we were slaves who have been adopted by the king into his family and, and how he took our place and changed our name. And like just, just this, this whole idea that like everything is different now. And for a group of young people who were just really like getting into Jesus, you know, as college students, that song said something that we really needed to be able to sing and yell and pray. Uh, and our, I think it was probably the first time that I personally realized that like me being adopted into the family of God was not some sort of thing he did out of obligation. And it wasn't something that um, has some sort of like lower kind of significance than anything else. That it is this amazing and beautiful part of the story of God for us. Um, and so last week I talked about, do we have the picture? Did the picture go through? All right. I talked about this orphanage in South Africa called Door of Hope. And this is a picture. This is the door. Um, and so you can see the, the gates, and then you see the box. There's like a box coming off of the door. And so if you weren't here, this is an orphanage that um, is basically has this understanding in that part of the city and all the police and law enforcement, everyone understands 
that anyone who doesn't want their baby anymore, rather than killing the baby or abandoning the baby or selling the baby, which are very common in that city, this church opened up this orphanage and said, you come and you put this baby in that box. So you lift up the Door of Hope sign. You lift it up. So you come put that baby in the box and you walk away and we'll take care of everything. And there have been like 14 or 1,500 children that have come through that, that organization. And so when a baby is placed in there, there's a little camera and there's an alarm that goes off and the staff comes out and they take the baby and there's all these procedures with medical care and all these tests and things and they open up an official uh, police report you know, to be able to have everything legal. But the way that the organization is set up is that they, they get to determine where the babies go. And they only place the babies with... Christian families that they have vetted. And so um, this summer, you know, there's a group of us that got to go, and you're, and you're there and you see these kids and you realize that like, by passing through that, that door, their lives will never be the same again. Like They were headed down a path of probable death. And now there are 14 or 1,500 kids living with Christian families all over the continent of Africa. Um, whose lives will never, ever be the same because they were adopted. Um, and so this is the second week in a series of, of weeks um, where we'll be talking about adoption, beginning with the theological like realities and then how that works out into life together and stuff. So we're going to be in Galatians 4, kind of picking up where we were last, last week a little bit. Look at verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come... God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Okay, let's stop right right there. Just just a few kind of recap points from last week. Um, Spiritual adoption is very simple. Like, it's a simple concept for us to understand. Just like adoption, uh, as you and I understand it, is very simple. It's just the formal process of becoming part of a family. That's, all, that's really all that it is. It's just that simple. It's, it's legal. It's official. Um, you know, you have, there are probably people in your life um, that were maybe like their family treated you like they were one of the family. You know, they're, they're, uh, they're practically like, they're like my parents, you know, or that kind of stuff. But they're not legally, officially your parents. It's just similar enough to where you can kind of call them that. But in adoption, it's like an official, legal like change of status in your life where you become a part of a family that's not your blood family. And so for God, He adopts us into His family uh, where Jesus is, the, like Jesus is blood family to the Father. They're blood related, right? Like if we can think about it in those terms. But you and I have been adopted into, the fam- into His family um, like... And so he has taken us who were strangers, we were aliens, we were not a part of the family. He's welcomed us in and he's legally changed our status. We've passed through Christ as that door of hope like I was talking about. And now nothing will ever be the same again. Verse 4, it says, when the fullness of time had come, uh, like at just the right moment, this all happened. That verse is talking about Jesus coming, like the incarnation of Christ coming to earth. In a similar sense, in your personal adoption, at just the right moment, you understood who Jesus is. You understood you're, you're, that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. 
You placed your faith in him and you stopped being a sinner and started being a saint. And that whole process of, of salvation is uh, like theologians have, have like broken it down into like, well, this happens first and then this happens and then this happens, you know, because we have to kind of nerd out about stuff like that sometimes, you know, and you kind of analyze it. And the thing about adoption, uh, like theologically, is this, is that when, when you are, when you become a Christian and you realize you're a sinner in need of a savior, that he is the redeemer that's come to you, you're this new life that comes inside of you when you cross from death into life. And your old heart is taken out and this new heart is there. There's this, in, this, this inner transformation that happens uh, in, in that moment. That the life of God comes to live inside of you. And you're, you're no longer held uh, responsible and guilty for the sins that you have committed. Instead, Jesus has taken all of the punishment for that. And when that exchange and all those things happen, uh, that's not adoption. Like in a theological sense. So we could be just as saved and not be adopted. All that new life, all those things could happen. We could be invited into his kingdom. We could have life forever. All those things could be the case and us not be adopted into his family. That adoption, this is him going above and beyond. Adoption, this is God being the, like in the prodigal son story, where the, the father receives the rebellious child and he doesn't just say, it's, you know, we'll talk about this later. Go to your room. And he's like, no, he puts a ring on his finger and a robe on him and throws a party. That's God being benevolent. That's him being so generous with his joy and his love. God is the good Samaritan who sees someone who's hurting and doesn't just help him out and give him a little water and say, it'll, it'll be okay. He picks him up, cleans him up, puts him on the, on the donkey, takes him to someone who can care for him, leaves money for him. That's God going beyond. Adoption is beyond our, like, uh, our, our salvation in the sense that he didn't have to do that. He could have just said, no, you can tag along with us. You can, you can be here forever in eternity, and that's great. I'll let you live in my kingdom. He says, no, I, I want you to be a part of my family. I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter. I want to legally change the status of who you are down to, I want your name to be different. I want you to be mine. And what's crazy is that, like, Father, Son, Spirit, they want us to be theirs just like they are one another's. Jesus wants you to be at the table, but not like at like, the kids' table. He wants you to be at his table. Because as Chase read earlier from Isaiah 53, he shares the spoils of his victory with us. Adoption is, is like above and beyond. It's greater than anything we could ask or imagine. It's, it's him extending his love for us and showing it in such a clear way. So, look at 4 and 5 again. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. All right, so let's say that you're here and you're a believer, and I hope that you are. And if you're not, I would encourage you to hang around afterwards and talk to somebody about that. Come talk to me. Just, look, just find someone who looks like they might be able to answer your questions, okay? But you don't have to leave wondering. But let's say that, that you are. Now you're, like, you're in the family. What does that even mean? 
that's what the next few weeks we're going we're gonna to look at. It's like, okay, so you're adopted into this family. You've passed through the door of hope, which is Jesus. You, your name is different. Everything about you is different. What is, like, how does that practically work itself out? Look at verse 6 and verse 7. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. In those two verses, there are really kind of three big ideas. And there are a lot of things that could be on a list of, you know, what does it mean to be a, a part of the family? Let's just go with these three tonight and see what happens. There's three of them. Um, three things in those two verses. Because you're part of the family, you get, you get his spirit, you get a father, and you get an inheritance. Those are the three points. Um, his spirit, you get a father, and an, an inheritance. Let's look at them one at a time. Uh, verse 6 because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. Capital S, Spirit, meaning Holy Spirit. Um, the Trinity is Father, Son, Spirit. So God is saying that He has sent Himself into our hearts. That when you are adopted into the family, after you have been, you have been saved, and He has brought you in, changed your name, everything is different, um, he himself comes to literally dwell inside of you. That when little kids are presented with the gospel and they'll you know, say, do you want to ask Jesus into your heart? That's a literal, like, super massive theological reality. That Jesus himself comes to live inside of us. And so what does that even mean? Well, before we get too deeply into what it means, maybe, maybe that's something you should just write down and circle it, and maybe you should like come back to that at some point in the next few days. The fact that God himself has chosen to dwell within you, that you are now a temple. There are, are several phrases that I wish we could just eliminate from church life, and one of them is when, uh, if you've ever been to church, it's like, welcome to the house of the Lord today. I was like, welcome to my own body. Okay, thank you. Very kind of you. This building is not the house of God. Now, special things happen here. And I think that there is like tons of biblical evidence for the fact that there are some GPS points on the globe that are really, really special. And I think that this is one of them. So don't hear me like ruling out the, like sacred spaces. I'm big on sacred spaces. But if we're going to be big on sacred spaces, and let's be big on the fact that you and I are sacred spaces. That you're bought with a price, and so you are, like, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit now. That God decides to live inside of you. And so what does that mean as far as adoption goes? Well, it means exactly everything that you would think that it means. It means that because the fullness of our God lives inside of us, there's no, at no point are we ever forsaken. You could be anywhere, doing anything, and you will not be forsaken. Why? Because God's not just standing next to you, and you create a distraction. Look over there, and then you run. He's like, oh, where'd you go? But sometimes we kind of convince ourselves that God didn't see that, you know. 
Well, he saw it because he's everywhere. He's also inside of you. And so you will never be forsaken. You will never be alone. No matter how lonely you may feel sometimes. Even in a crowded room. Even with your closest friends. Sometimes even with the person you're married to. You just feel alone. But you're not. Because with adoption as a son or a daughter, God has sent His Spirit into your heart. That's what the verse says. You'll never be forsaken. You'll never be alone. You'll never be clueless about what to do. Even when you are clueless, you're not really clueless. He just hasn't told you yet. But it's not because He's forsaken you or forgotten about you or He's too busy doing something else. If you're in a situation, you're like, I don't know what to do. He's in you and with you. And he's like, he knows what to do. He's like, he just doesn't need to tell you just yet. Sometimes we're kind of quick to pull the trigger, honestly. So just like with Jesus coming at just the right time, and just like you were saved at just the right time, he'll clue you in at just the right time. You'll never be alone or forsaken or clueless. You'll never be powerless. You'll never be in a situation where his indwelling power is not with you. Instead, you will always have protection. You will always have provision. You will always have leadership. You will always have assurance. You will always have confidence. You will always have hope. You will always have correction. You will always have discipline. You will always have someone to warn you. You will always have everything that you need. It's like it says in the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. You will not lack any good thing. That adoption means that God takes care of his kids in a way that you as earthly parents, as great as you are, you can't take care of your kids in this way. You can't download your spirit into them. And even if you could, I mean, you're not the holy, perfect creator of the universe. Some of you are thinking, like, I'm glad I can't download my spirit into my kids. I don't want them. Like, That's how he cares for his kids. That's how he cares for you. And the verse says, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. What does that mean? It means that the Spirit is there confirming and reminding and validating your sonship. That in the times when you're thinking there's no way that God can love me, the Spirit is there enabling you to cry out to your Father. Verifying the fact that you are still a son or a daughter. No matter how dumb you've been. And I don't know if that's good news for you, but that is incredible news for me. Because I've had plenty of days when I just thought, yep, this is it. This is the disownment point. This is the point when he's like, look, I'm going to go put you outside the camp. <laughs> I'm going to put you outside the family. I'm going to... And he's like, nope. Still at the table. Still with the new name. Still with the new identity. Still mine. Acting like a fool, okay. <laughs> but you're still mine. And so that spirit is there with us to confirm and remind exactly who we are. So that's the first thing. That's a pretty good thing. So not only do we get his spirit as a part of our adoption, the second thing that we see is, is that the spirit is put into our hearts so that we can cry, Abba, Father. That we get a father. Oh yeah, okay. So everybody, technically everybody has a father. Okay. We know we're not talking about that. 
You have a father, and you not only, it's not just any old father, you have Yahweh as your father. The one who blesses and keeps you also created and sustains the universe. That the one tending to you as your daddy is also keeping everything else right where it needs to be. He's that big. So you know what that means? You'll be fine. I know everyone didn't grow up in a, in a house where, as a young child, you had that assurance that everything was going to be okay. But there are people who do. That when you're a kid, and you look at them, and you look at all those kids that are over there, and they don't have a care in the world, you know? Just, like, having a blast, just doing their own thing, whatever. And they're not worried about what they're going to eat. They're not worried about uh, getting the school on time tomorrow. They're not worried about what they're going to wear. They're not worried about anything except just being a kid and what they worry about. Why? Because they have this, this trust that like they're going to be provided for. That, well, mom and dad know what to do. Or mom knows what to do. Or dad knows what to do. Or some taller person will know what to do around here, you know? And while that may not be, have been the case for you growing up, I think just conceptually we can understand that there's something about kids who can just be trusting that their parents are taking care of all the other stuff. And so here we are as adults, and there are times when we're anxious and we're troubled and we're worried and all that stuff, and there's some very legitimate things out there that concern us, and that's fine. But God has given us His Spirit that enables us to cry out to our Father, and we cannot forget who our dad is. When we keep that in mind, we know, even though things are crazy right some days, you know, you know everything is going to be fine. That word Abba, it's not just another word for father. This was that word that like kids called their dad. It means like daddy or papa, you know, something really, really personal and affectionate. It's the same word that, that how Jesus, when he prayed to God the Father, that's the same word that he would use. And when he did that, you know what probably happened? It probably weirded out everyone that heard him pray that way. Because they were very careful about just speaking the name Yahweh. They wouldn't even write it fully. And God was this uh, huge, powerful, reverent, like, like this someone to be like feared and worshipped and um, and here is this rabbi who's like calling him Papa, Daddy. And so God has given you and I this, His Spirit, and what that enables us to do is it enables us to know God the Father as Daddy. That that is now the primary way we relate to Him. Now, so think, think about it like this. He has saved us and uh, regenerated us, and his, like, He is within us. We've been adopted, and so now, as He is overseeing the universe, and as He is interacting with you as your shepherd, and as your prophet, and as your priest, and as your king, and as He's doing all these things, all of those things are informed by the fact that He's also your dad. Like That's the new basis upon which we relate to Him. So when Jesus is praying in Gethsemane, and He's like sweating blood because he's, he's anxious and, and honestly he's like fearful and he's just in that place where it's a, everything's about to get real and he's pleading to his father 
That's the same kind of pleading, powerful relationship that you and I are now empowered to be able to have. That he's both massive and near and tender and loving. That it provides this relational context for every role that he plays in our lives. That when you pray, you could start your prayers, Papa. Our Father in heaven. They're the same thing. And so that's a part of adoption is that God is not distant. God is not uh, impersonal anymore. That you can relate to him as a child relates to their parent. This perfect, holy, powerful, amazing parent. This is deeply personal to him. Adoption is incredibly like personal. You're not at his table and he's like, he doesn't really care about you. If he didn't really care about you, he just wouldn't adopt you. I mean, think about it. He didn't have to. But he wanted to. So my brother, Drew, and he and his wife, Catherine, are adopting, uh, they've, uh, are adopting two boys that uh, were in the foster care system. And they're having a baby, like any minute now. Like, literally. So, um, so our family went from, like, no grandkids to, like, four within, like, a year and a half. It was crazy. So um, it's been really, really something. Um, and so for those boys, uh, their names are Landon and Hunter. And they were at the crawfish boil a while back. Not this past one, but the one before that. And Drew and Kat had had them for like two months. And so they were, they were just calling them like Mr. Drew. And then her name is Catherine, but her like, nickname growing up was Cack. And so it was like Mr. Drew and Miss Cack. And those boys didn't know Drew and Catherine, but they had been praying for them. So Drew and Cack had this connection to these boys, but those boys didn't have a connection to them. They were just like, oh, that's who we're staying with now. That was like the, the full extent of their connection. But over time, without, like, Drew, Drew was like, he's like, they can call me Mr. Drew until we're old men. It doesn't really matter to me. But Drew can tell you the day, the first time that Landon called him dad. Drew didn't ask him to, didn't beg him to, nothing. He just, Landon just did it. And they don't do it all the time yet, but they... Like, more and more starting to call him mom and dad. And then in the really, like, tender times, it's daddy, you know. So what does that mean? Think about it this way. God had deep affection for you and for me when he adopted us. But we didn't really know him. We were like, we were like Landon and Hunter were when they first came around our family, like, just kind of unsure what to do. But over time, you know, what you, you know what we do? We learn to trust our Abba. That the longer you walk with him, the more natural it is to just call him Daddy. He's always had deep affection for you. You following after him fosters and nourishes that deep affection back. And so that's another benefit, is that you not only get a spirit, his spirit, but now you have a father Like him, he's your father. And the third thing we see in these verses, verse 7. 
So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, then you're an heir. An heir through God. When Chase read through Isaiah 53 and he talked about the the spoils of victory being shared. There's something about inheritance that I think is a little bit lost on us. Uh, because in, inheritance in our day is kind of weird, you know. All throughout the Bible, it's a pretty big deal. The firstborn got a double portion, and they were just all the, it was like just a really big deal with birthright and all this stuff. So, what does it mean to be an heir? You know, what do we, what do we inherit, and why is that even important? Well, one thing it's important to know that. The things that God has, like we inherit all of that. So if inheritance was, a, was like just a pure thing in our day and age, and in theory, you get everything that your parents had, right? They pass away, everything goes to you as, as their child or as a group of children. So I, like conceptually, we need to just think of it that way, that everything dad has, we get. So what does dad have? Well... You don't need to turn to any of these verses, but let's, I want to show you what a big deal this, this was uh, in the New Testament. So don't turn to these. You can just write them down if you want to. They'll be on the screen. 1 Peter 1, uh, 3 through 5. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That there is inheritance that is coming to us, that there is an appointed time when that will happen. Now, in an earthly sense, it's whenever one or both parents pass away. But in this sense, God's not passing away. But what is passing away is this earth. And so in the New Testament, when they're talking about an inheritance, um, we're, like, it's, it's the like, new earth, it's heaven, it's what awaits us beyond like, when this age comes to an end. In the Old Testament, it was referring to the promised land. In the New Testament, it's referring to the new earth. That we're looking forward to this inheritance. So right now, in this moment, your adoption as sons and daughters means that you get His Spirit and you get a Father... And in a forward-thinking sense, there is this imperishable, unfading, completely secure future that you have. That you can live with that kind of hope. Because Jesus is alive, your hope is living. And through that hope, because you've passed through that door, everything about the way we conduct our lives is radically different. So, as sons and daughters... We get everything that our Father has. So what does our Father have? Like, what are we inheriting? Romans 4.13 says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Uh, An heir of the world. Like, what are you inheriting? You know, a few thousand dollars, a piece of land, an old car? No, the world. That's our inheritance. 1 Corinthians three twenty one to 23 says, For all things are yours, 
whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God. That we are heirs of the world. Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell uh, therein. For he's founded upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. God owns everything. And so what do you and I get in our inheritance? We literally get everything. Everything that he has is ours. Again, the prodigal son, the father looks at his son and says, Look, everything that I have is yours. All I have is yours. That God is not a hoarder. Jesus is not the arrogant, like, blood brother who's like, Well, I'm the real kid here, and y'all are just, you know, whatever. He's like, No, it's all, like, like this, there's just so much. God is so generous and so good that he shares everything with us. To think about it, that God shares all his stuff with his children. It's pretty amazing. So our inheritance is everything. But greater than the... It's so easy to focus on stuff. You know, you, you have maybe never experienced this as a person, but you've probably seen movies or TV shows or whatever where you have someone's really wealthy and they have these bratty kids and all that they want is for their parents to die so they can get all their money, you know. So we should not focus on the, like, the stuff that we're going to inherit... In some ways, because we don't even know what the new earth is going to be like, you know, so that's kind of hard to do, but it's really not about that. That's just kind of bonus. Greater than the stuff we inherit is the, is the experience. The fact that we experience life apart from sin and all of its brokenness. The fact that everything about this world that we hate so much will be gone, and everything that we love about this world so much will be present. People say, hey, you think dogs would be in heaven? I'm like, dogs are awesome. Sure. Why not? Hey, you think this will be in heaven? Well, we, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. It's like, well, just take everything that's sin messed up about that, and then it will probably be there. Like the perfect, sinless, holy version of that thing. So greater than our stuff is the life of the inheritance. But greater than the life of the inheritance is the most important thing about our future as an heir. Revelation 21, 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. So this unobstructed, complete... Like, free from distraction, and like, that is like you and God, full on in His presence. That is the, the best part of our inheritance. That, yeah, we get stuff, and yeah, we get to live this life free from sin and everything that's messed up. And it's going to be amazing, but the most amazing thing about our inheritance is going to be Him looking you in the eye. And you being able to see Him in His fullness without everything that hinders us now. It goes on to say, He will wipe every, away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So our inheritance, we are heirs of that kind of world, that kind of existence. And so how do we live now? Where we live as sons and daughters who have that kind of understanding of our adoption. 
that His Spirit is within us, enabling us to cry out to God and know Him as Father. And because of that, everything's going to be fine. And until that day comes when we receive our full inheritance as adoption, as sons and daughters, and everything is as it should be, until that point, He will be faithful to you and to me. He keeps every promise. He's unable to break promises. That's not who He is. And so we live as confident sons and daughters, seated at the table, not because not we're awesome, because we've earned it, just His gracious, loving kindness that says, all I have is yours. And until we're free from all the impact of sin, He's going to carry us through, moment by moment, situation by situation, Whatever you're facing, you're not facing it as someone who's on the outside without a family, with, on, on your own, figuring it out. As a Christian, you are facing that as a son or a daughter who knows God as Abba. And that is why there's songs that exist that say, because God has spoken, everything is different. Nothing is the same again. So, when we read the Bible, when we sing, when we serve, when we love, when we sleep, all of these things are constantly existing for us. And that should evoke such gratitude and joy and love. So I hope that in these ideas that you are just encouraged and blessed, I hope that it spurs us on to love and good works. I hope that, that this stirs something in us that just cannot be unstirred. I don't know if that's a real thing. But that this fans something into flame for us. And so we're going to do what we do, what we do here. We usually sing as a form of just responding to what's going on. And maybe this is what you need to do. Maybe in some ways for the first time you're, under, you're beginning to understand the value that God places on you as a son or a daughter. I'm glad that you're here tonight. And I hope that when we're done and we say the blessing and we walk out that maybe there's something different for us. So let's stand together. I'm sorry, I've talked a long time. Well, I'm not really sorry, but it's just good to acknowledge it sometimes. Let me pray for us before uh, Cody leads us in some songs. Lord, um, certainly our concepts of fatherhood have been impacted in good ways and not so good ways by life here on earth. I'm grateful that you are in the business of redefining a lot of things. That you take us from patterns that we see and learn in this world and you transform us by teaching us how to think correctly. And so God, no matter... No matter what uh, parenting looked like for all of us in this room, I pray that you would help us to let go of those kind of standards that have been formed and help us to submit to your redefining of what, uh, what it means to be adopted into a family and to be cared for and to be loved. God, that as we sing a song or two here as we close out, that we would do so as sons and daughters who have not earned our way to, into the family. 
we've not behaved just the right way or said just the right things or done a certain number of good works. It's just your grace. It's just your love. It's your son's obedience and being willing to come and pay the price. The most costly adoption that's ever taken place. And because he is so generous and you are so generous, Father, we share in these things. We share in the Spirit. We share in all of us being able to call you Abba. And we share in this inheritance that is secure and imperishable and unfading and kept for us. Until that day comes, may we walk and think and live and make decisions and interact with people as part of a new family with a new name because everything is different now.